We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 187 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. You can always follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. And today I am joined by a very special guest. She is a writer for the Lombardi Lounge. She recently wrote a fantastic article about the resurgence of Aaron Rodgers, which we're going to touch base on very deeply in today's episode. She was recently voted one of the top 10 Packers bloggers in the world. And my guest today is the incredibly talented writer and Packers aficionado, Maggie Lawler. Maggie, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I think so too. I appreciate you joining. Been a really big fan of your work. I thought your Aaron Rodgers article was fantastic. And obviously we want to dive into that in just a little bit. But before we do that, I just kind of wanted to, you know, give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and uh, just kind of how you got into writing about the Packers and, and kind of into this whole crazy mess of writing about the Packers. Yeah, well, I was approached by the Lombardi Lounge in, I believe it was August, um, just because I'm pretty active on Twitter, like to talk about football, actually dating a, marrying, I should say, a Browns fan. Um, So I wanted to expand my Packers circle because I didn't really have anyone to talk football with in my immediate vicinity. So a love of tweeting and talking sports ended up in a really cool writing opportunity um, from Aaron Andrews and the Lounge. And I have a journalism background. I was the editor of my college newspaper. So it all kind of blended together as things that I really love doing, really enjoy writing, 
really love to talk with other knowledgeable Packer fans and Packer writers. So it's been a dream really to be able to just talk football and write about football and engage with what I would consider some of the best fans in all of sports. I agree. So your uh, journalism background absolutely shows uh, in your writing. I think you do a fantastic job over at the Lombardi Lounge. And uh, like I said, really enjoyed your your Aaron Rodgers article and obviously a lot of the articles that you've written in the past. But you mentioned in there being married or about to be married to a Browns fan. So I want I'm just kind of curious, how does that work? Uh, Is there a a division? Is there separate rooms in the household with different, uh, you know, jerseys hung up? How does that work exactly? (laughs) Well, We kind of luck out because we are in southeastern Wisconsin, so I get all of the Packer games on TV, and then Mark, my fiancé, will listen to all of the Browns uh, games on the radio, and then I don't have to listen to most of the Packer announcers. We haven't had some good ones this last year with the record, Um, so I'll usually either put the game on really quiet or mute it or, you know, throw on uh, Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarron, and we can just kind of be in the same room and enjoy each other's games while also focusing more on our own games. Well, it had to be kind of interesting. Obviously, both franchises were looking for head coaches. I'm curious, was uh, was your fiancé interested in the Mike McCarthy rumors, or was he hoping to avoid that? Who was he kind of hoping for as the Browns head coach? He was actually hoping that they would keep Freddie Kitchens. So when that all came out, he was just ecstatic by that. He wanted originally to retain Williams as the D.C., but – I think he understood why there was some tension there and why they needed to part ways. So he's super excited for next season, and I totally get it. I think Browns fans are are in for a lot of success in the future, and I'm excited for their fan base because they really deserve it. Yeah, I think so too. I'm actually fairly excited about that Browns franchise as well. I think they're in a really fun spot. Baker Mayfield's obviously a ton, to, you know, a ton of fun to watch. But uh, one last question: There was there any discussion within the household of which head coaching job was better going into the off season? We actually both thought that the other opening was more intriguing. You know, I think part of it is just being nice to the other one. But I, I'm biased to the Packers. But I thought of the other teams, I guess that the Browns would be the most interesting of the batch and, you know, outside of uh, the Packers without sounding like too much of a homer, Mark definitely thought that the Browns was a really intriguing option too. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that there was a, a great argument to be made that the Browns had the most uh, unique and most, uh, you know, interesting opening this offseason, obviously with Baker, a very young team. Obviously, there was the article written of, you know, the ownership, which was not very, uh, you know, not a very pleasant article for Browns fans, I'm sure. But overall, a, a very positive opening that's uh, that's there in Cleveland right now. So that'll be fun for you guys. Maybe uh, we can, you know, have a Browns Packers Super Bowl in the near future. Why would that would stress me out quite a bit, but I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, maybe not. Maybe not in your first couple of years of marriage. Maybe we'll let you guys <laughs> settle in a little bit, but it would be fun nonetheless. Um, so one of the things I was actually set to discuss today was the edge rusher position. We've been doing a end of year review series and we've been going position by position and we included the coaching and the GM and kind of everything. And uh, I was actually set to do the edge rushers uh, last Sunday uh, or last Sunday night for Monday's podcast, but I had the great opportunity to interview Tyler Merritt. Uh, he did an awesome job on that podcast and certainly was willing to take a quick breather within our series to interview him. And then uh, I was going to pick up the edge rusher this week, but being the awful podcast, podcast host and uh, leader that I am, uh, I failed to tell the group that was doing the linebackers that they didn't have to do the edge rushers. And thankfully, Matt and Janelle completely did my job for me and way better than I could have done it. So they did a great job of breaking down the edge 
edge rusher position. So if anyone's super interested in that, definitely go back and listen to Matt and Janelle from last week who did an awesome job. But I figured I would get at least a couple thoughts in and give you an opportunity as well, Maggie, on, on kind of the state of the edge rushers from this past year and where they kind of need to go going forward. I'll let you start. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you look at this year's draft class, it's a really deep edge draft. And it's also a really deep edge class as far as free agency goes. When the Packers re-signed Nick Perry a couple years ago, you didn't really have any huge names jumping out at you. Um, So Nick Perry truly kind of felt like the best option for the team at the time. Now that you have him committed to such a huge contract and you're losing Clay Matthews, uh, my thought on the whole thing is that you, you go edge with pick number 12, I don't know if I see the Packers moving up or down. Uh, To me personally, in this year's draft, I would say, you know, it's about quantity and trying to hit on as many picks as possible. So I'm not the GM, but if I were the GM, I'm taking an edge rusher at 12, somebody I think is going to have an immediate impact on the defense. So I'm going, Ja'Kai Polite is is my guy, but I, I don't know if he'll be there. He might be. I think you have to take someone right away at 12 to sustain that edge a little bit. Fackrell, you know, has surprised everyone with his 10 and a half sack season. But to me at this point, I think you either keep Perry or re-sign Matthews. I don't think you do both. I think you give Patton a little bit of a veteran presence to work with in that room. But if you look at Nick Perry, you know, 11 sacks in 2016, seven sacks in 2017, one and a half sacks this season, only playing nine games. You know, it's, it's, really not what you would expect from someone making that kind of money on that kind of contract. And it seems like you can get a lot better value elsewhere and not have to hit that cap with, with the Rogers cap that's eminent for the next uh, multiple years. Yeah, I, I certainly like the way that you're headed there. To give my thoughts on how they performed from a season ago, it's not pretty. My lowest three rated defenders that I graded from this past season were in order uh, Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, and Reggie Gilbert. So I did not think very highly, obviously, of the edge position. And as you mentioned, Kyler Fackrell had a really nice season. I think he is the ideal number three edge rusher on a defense where he can come in. Uh, he has, you know, he, he's set the edge much better this past season. He showed that he can get to double digit sacks. I still don't think you want him playing 50 to 55 plus snaps in a game, but if he can be the first guy off the bench and playing around 30 to 35 snaps, I think that's an ideal role for him. Uh, I've, I've been kind of on the bandwagon that I think it's time to move on from Clay Matthews, and I still absolutely agree with that. However, I will say a, a base contract for Clay Matthews of around maybe $4 million with a ton of incentives for sacks or turnovers, you know, Pro Bowl appearance or a Super Bowl win, something like that, where he could maybe get to 7 or $8 million if he hits some you know, escalators that honestly he probably wouldn't hit. I'd be fine with that because I think at this stage of his career, if he could play about 20 to 25, maybe 30 snaps a game, you know, a little bit as maybe an inside linebacker, a little bit as an edge rusher and kind of just have that veteran presence. I, I wouldn't mind that either, but I think it's time to move on from Gilbert. It's absolutely time to move on from Perry, which we'll get into in just a moment here. But I, I agree with you. I think 12 or at minimum, one of the first round picks has to be an edge rusher. Um, and I think 12 just sets up so well. As you mentioned, the, the edge class is very deep, but those guys are going to go quick. 
So I, I do think one or two will be available at 12 and it'll be interesting to see which ones are there, but I think Green Bay would be very wise to go that route at 12. I wouldn't even mind if they doubled up again at 30, to be honest. But I think if you could add in, you know, not maybe one of the top edge rushers, I don't think your, your D Fords, your Jadavian Clownies, I don't think those guys are going to be there. But even if you could, you know, possibly get somebody like a Dante Fowler or a Shaq Barrett, a Zadarius Smith, one of those type of guys that could at least fill in here and there and uh, kind of be the opposite player to, you know, either your rookie or Fackrell or Clay Matthews, all playing, you know, 30 to 40 snaps a game. I think that could be a real winning formula for the edge going into next season. Yeah, I think if you consider Clay Matthews and where he's at in his career, he's always been one of those faces of Green Bay. And I know that he still wants to play and I know that he would play elsewhere if given the opportunity. But I think of him now in this role, almost like a Julius Peppers uh, when he came to Green Bay, where, like you said, he's not going to play your 55 snaps. He's not maybe even going to be a cornerstone of the defense moving forward, but he could be that rotational guy that can come in and make an impact with the limited snaps he has for the right price. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And I think we're obviously both in agreement that it's it's definitely time to get some new blood in at that edge rusher position. It was not a position that performed very well from a season ago. And uh, again, they're, they're in an opportunity to do so. Like you said, uh, you know, the edge rusher class, the free agent class, there's definitely depth at that position. One of the few positions in all of free agency and really all of the draft too, that has that great depth. And uh, the Packers are definitely in a position to, to upgrade at that, at that position. And really it'd be pretty hard not to upgrade based on the, the situation from a season ago. Right. Um, that kind of leads me into an article that I wrote from about a week and a half ago um, about specifically Nick Perry, but also Jimmy Graham and, you know, where their contracts kind of come into play and whether or not that they should be on the team this coming year. Unlike Clay Matthews, unlike Randall Cobb, unlike a lot of other of these guys who are not under contract, obviously Nick Perry and Jimmy Graham are under contract. Really what I argued, and obviously I'll give you an opportunity in just a moment here to weigh in, but my argument was it's, it doesn't really make sense just to look at the first year of the deal anymore. And the reason I say that is because NFL teams have become such salary cap wizards and capologists that they can move money around from year to year and really free up salary cap when they want to be able to. And I'd rather look at it from the standpoint of, what does it cost if they would keep this player? Let's just say for one year and Nick Perry, they, they pay him $11.1 million, no matter what in signing bonus money. But if they keep him for just one more year, they add another 10 million plus just to that number alone. And they would pay him $21.8 million for one year of play. Now they'd be able to obviously pay that out over the course of a couple different seasons, depending on how they released them next year. But still for one year of play, you'd pay Nick Perry $21.8 million. Whereas if you just kind of cut bait now and swallowed that contract, you'd only pay him 11.1 million. Same thing for Jimmy Graham. So if they cut him flat out, uh, they'd take a 7.3 million cap hit. But if they play him for just one year, they pay him a full $9 million more uh, for that one more season. And he'd have a total cap hit, uh, again, over the course of the next couple of years of $16.3 million just for that one season. So I think it bears the question of, is Nick Perry for one more year you know, worth another 10 million straight up. And is Jimmy Graham for one year worth another 9 million straight up? And and based on the tape that I reviewed from a season ago, I would say Nick Perry's an easy, easy no. Jimmy Graham's more interesting because he's going to get to play under a new offense. And at least Aaron Rodgers seems to be, uh, you know, on the same page with him and likes playing with Jimmy Graham. But based on the tape for Jimmy Graham, I, I would argue that it may be time to move on there as well. But very curious your thoughts specifically on those two players. 
I think that the tight end position is going to be one of the most intriguing positions for the Packers moving forward with this offseason, um, given, like you said, the contracts of Jimmy Graham. But then you look at their free agents and Lance Kendricks and Mercedes Lewis. They didn't have, you know, huge seasons. They didn't do a heck of a lot, you know, for the offense, but they're both free agents. Uh, Big Bobby Tanyan is an exclusive rights free agent. And then you have Jimmy Graham. So your four tight ends that were on the roster all season, you potentially could not have any of them back. You could have one, maybe two. And I think about, I believe it was one of his uh, season ending locker room interviews towards the end of the season with Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, he really went to bat for Jimmy Graham saying he wants to get him more involved in the offense next season. But when you look at Jimmy's numbers, I mean, they really match a career low for when he played his first year in Seattle and he played five less games that season. So the production necessarily wasn't there, but then you think about the fact that he's six, seven, he's the biggest target Rogers has had in the Ren zone for quite a while. And I mean, he's bigger than Finley was supposed to be just this dominating force in the middle of the field, red zone target. And he puts up, what was it? I think two touchdowns on the whole season. So, and then, you know, there's part of me that thinks if you get rid of Cobb, if you lose more veteran presence in that locker room, Rodgers is not going to be thrilled to go into the season with just Adams and maybe a Geronimo Allison as his targets. I think that there's something to be said about giving him that Jimmy Graham uh, security blanket, even though they weren't necessarily on the same page for a lot of this season. If you give them one more off season to work together, he, he could see his numbers increase quite a bit. Yeah, he's a super interesting, you know, topic of discussion. And I, I agree with everything that you said. You know, I think that uh, with that USA Today interview that uh, Martellus Bennett and Mercedes Lewis recently did, they both kind of hit on the fact that Mike McCarthy in this offense did the tight ends no favors. Yep. And I, I unequivocally agree with what both of them said. You know, this is a, a an offense that basically, you know, made the tight ends run a ton of flats, a ton of little, uh, you know, kind of crossing routes over the middle and, Jimmy Graham's not a guy at this point in his career and same with Mercedes Lewis and same with Martellus Bennett last year who are going to gain a ton of separation on these little quick routes. They are guys that are open even when they're covered because they're behemoth athletes at six, six plus, and you just kind of have to throw them the ball and let them box out a little bit. And again, I don't think, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers one was willing to throw some of those 50, 50 balls at times. Uh, but I also don't think Mike McCarthy in this offense did those tight ends any favors either. So a part of me does really want to see what, you know, these tight ends would be able to do in a Matt LaFleur led offense. Uh, you know, he had pretty good success with John U. Smith. I know that offense was going to be, uh, you know, very predicated upon the tight end until the injuries hit with Delaney Walker going down early. Uh, but he still did a pretty good job with John U. Smith. So I'd be interested. But, you know, when I look at the tight end position, there's really four things that I, I kind of like to look for that a, a tight end could kind of bring to the table. I first of all look at red zone production, and that was something that Jimmy Graham was supposed to be a, a gimme on. No matter what, he's at least going to bring that to the table. Like you said, only two touchdowns a year ago, and when they targeted him and gave him some of those 50-50 opportunities, uh, he did not come down with them. And that, I thought, was a, a major degradation from his earlier you know, points in his career where he was able to do that with ease. So I have concern there. Um, obviously the, the catching over the middle. So Jermichael Finley is, is a player who was able to stretch the seam and really open up the offense. I was hoping Jimmy Graham was going to be able to provide some of that. Unfortunately on intermediate and deep passes, 
when Rodgers and the quarterbacks attempted to get it to Jimmy Graham. They were 6 of 16, no touchdowns, and Aaron Rodgers' only two interceptions were uh, to Jimmy Graham in that area of the field. So that was a struggle. His yards after the catch, another thing that I look at, he was not explosive after the catch. It looked like he lost a step. And then, of course, blocking. And they probably asked him to do way too much blocking because everyone knows that he's not a great blocker and they shouldn't have used him in that role as much as they did. But that's another thing he doesn't exactly bring to the table. So for a $9 million additional cap hit, I want at least something that I can go back to. And on tape last year, I didn't see it. But I again, I, I go back to the fact, and I agree with you, a part of me does want to see what he would do in this offense. And I think part of it, too, is if you look at I mean, I know the Packers are getting linked to both of the Iowa Hawkeye tight ends uh, right now, too, uh, in the draft. And this is a a decent draft class for tight ends. So if you think about bringing back Jimmy Graham, even for one more season, and you give him one more season as that veteran in the locker room, you know, as the tight end presence that maybe Rodgers can rely on. But then as you develop some of these younger guys uh, behind him, that really sets the Packers up for you know, some success at the position in the future when they don't have a Jimmy Graham hit and they're still paying rookie contracts. Yeah, based on Packers needs and based on where the the depth of this draft seems to be at the moment, it certainly seems with those three top 50 picks, that offensive line, tight end and edge rusher would be the three that they would be able to address fairly easily with those three picks. Of course, it'll never go that way. It'll probably now be quarterback, running back and receiver or something (laughs) crazy, but it would certainly seem based on the depth of the draft and what they need that it, it would align very, very well for the Packers. Agreed. So I'm going to put you on the spot really quick before we move to next topic. Uh, Nick Perry and Jimmy Graham, will either of them be back with the Packers next year? Nick Perry, no. Jimmy Graham, yes. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the the correct answer. That's how I would bet as well. If I'm GM, I probably move on from both, but I do think I think Graham will be back. He was a Brian Gutekunst sign, the very first you know major splash that he made. I think he's going to go back and, and give him another opportunity in a new offense, and I think they're going to move on from a lot of Mike McCarthy players, and I do think there's a very good chance that Perry, Clay, and Cobb are all moving on in, in 2019, but it'll be a, a very interesting offseason to say the least. So want to get into your fantastic article that you recently wrote and uh, really, really enjoyed this piece. And it was on the resurgence of Aaron Rodgers. Of course, you can find it out on the Lombardi Lounge. Uh, the title of the article is A Resurgence with Rodgers. Uh, you had you know posted it back on January 17th. But why don't you just kind of for our listeners break down the, the kind of article as a whole and uh, what your kind of takeaway from it was. Twitter, of course, is divided on everything known to man, whether it's you know, politics, sports, you name it. But there were a lot of Packer fans that were questioning kind of what would happen these next couple seasons with a new head coach and with Aaron Rodgers aging and, you know, going into the back nine of his career. Um, So I wanted to do a little bit of digging to maybe ease the minds of some Packer fans, if you will, um, and point out some, you know, really recent examples of success, both uh, with new head head coaches and with what you might consider an aging quarterback at the helm. The first thing I said, you know, is that the Tom Brady, New England Patriots, not the norm. They are the exception to the rule. You know, they're ne- that's never going to happen again, I would argue. So don't look at that one. But, you know, you take a look at the playoffs and you have the Saints with Drew Brees. Sean Payton's not a new head coach, but he has done some incredible things, uh, you know, through the draft. And I know he's not necessarily drafting these players himself, but you know, the Saints have had some really strong draft classes the last couple of years, strung together three straight seven and nine seasons, and then turned things around to go to the playoffs back-to-back years. You have 
the San Diego Chargers with a brand new head coach and aging Philip Rivers. They got all the way to the divisional round of the playoffs before they had to go to Foxborough, and it's never an easy place to play in the playoffs. You know, you have um, they had a, some really strong draft class with a brand new head coach. You've got, of course, the Sean McVay Rams, who could forget. You've got Doug Peterson and the Eagles. You've got the Colts. So basically what I just wanted to touch on in this article was I wanted to point to some examples of teams uh, with new leadership that were able to turn things around really quickly. And, you know, one of the common denominators in all of those teams was they have a very strong quarterback. So regardless of, you know, maybe the, the coach themselves, there was a cornerstone of the offense already established. And then these head coaches were able to come in and run with that. And I don't think that Matt LaFleur will have anything different go on in Green Bay. Yeah, it's it's going to be one of the most, of, of all the things that are going on this offseason, obviously new head coach, new coaching staff, two top uh, you know, first round draft picks, three top 50 picks. And so much of this offense is going to change the decisions that they make about keeping players or releasing players. The biggest thing to me and what it all boils down to is how Aaron Rodgers performs within this new offense and back from injury and how he looks in those first few weeks of the season. Does there seem to be buy-in with this offense? Does it seem to be clicking? It's, it's going to be so intriguing. And before we kind of jump into a little bit of that, I'm curious to your thoughts on, on what was maybe wrong with Aaron Rodgers this past year. Do you think some of it was overblown? Do you think he did start to decline a little bit? Was something broken? What was your take on his play this past year? I mean, to me, I think a big part of it is you look at what happened game one at home where he gets goes down with a knee injury. And then the next couple of weeks, his mechanics are off and he's you know trying to protect himself as he should. He's the face of the franchise. He doesn't want to injure anything worse. And then I think maybe as his knee started to get better, there was still that mental airing on the side of caution where he didn't, I know there's always this, uh, this idea with Rogers that he doesn't want to, you know, lead his receivers into the middle of the field and take shots after what happened with Finley. And I totally get that. So I think there was a combination of Rogers trying to protect himself, trying to protect his receivers, maybe also trying to protect some of his records uh, when they became achievable to him. And I think that he was just playing very cautiously. And to me, Mike McCarthy's offense was already pretty cautious. Um, so when you combine those two things, it's it's really hard to make that offense go. And I think with Matt LaFleur coming in, he's going to be challenged and he's going to have some expectations put on him right away, uh, both LaFleur and Rodgers, that you know there's a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball with Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. So they better be able to get something clicking pretty fast. Yeah, it, it's going to be so intriguing to keep an eye on. And uh, I honestly, I've I've watched every snap of Aaron Rodgers this season. I've broke them all down uh, in actually the past two seasons. And I really struggle to put into words exactly, you know, where he's at and, and what is exactly going on with him. And I think uh, a lot of it was the injury. I think a lot of it was the offense. I think some of it was maybe protecting his players and trying to protect himself a little bit, you know, I, he the amount of throwaways that he had obviously led the league, and uh, there, there's definitely more to that than than just nobody being open. But uh, it's 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 going to be interesting. It's really going to be intriguing to keep an eye. On. I I've not been as uh, excited as intrigued for a, a first three to four games of a season as I already am for the first three to four games of next season. Just to see how some of this new talent comes in and how Rogers looks, you know, coming back from injury and in a new offense. 
and just seeing a new coach lead this team. I mean, Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy have been together the entire time uh, that Rodgers has been in the league. And now all of a sudden he's got something completely different and completely new. And, uh, you know, whether he buys in or whether he, you know, just all of a sudden breaks out of that slump due to injury or whatever, and just comes out on fire. I mean, that, it just changes everything. If, if Aaron Rodgers is back to Aaron Rodgers, he fixes a lot of things very, very fast. And this team can go to whatever end that they want to when he's playing like that. So uh, it'll be so fun to keep an eye on. Yeah, I can't wait for that one. Same. I, I, this is the first time, actually, I usually love going to the first game of the season and the, the home opener. I'm actually hoping the home opener is on week two this year that they don't open at home because I think you can break it down so much better. Obviously, when you're on TV, you know, when you're watching on TV than when you're, you know, sitting 35 rows up or whatever. It's yeah. like the first time I'm hoping that the first game is a road game so I can just watch it and, and pick up all those intricate details of what's going on because it's just going to be so fun to keep an eye on. You know, I. And this is totally off topic, but I wouldn't be surprised if that first game of the season is at Soldier Field against the Bears, given it's their 100th anniversary and mm. they opened with us. It, it kind of feels fair to, you know, start their season out in Soldier Field. Yeah, that that really does. It would be interesting if that'd be another Sunday night game. Oh, that would, that's not an easy way to start a new offense against that defense. Uh, you would love a, a couple, you know, just real nice, you know, maybe Detroit and Green Bay, uh, you know, or something like that to open the season and keep it a little bit easier. But it's it's never easy in this league. <laughs> no, this season was supposed to be easy, too, and that didn't turn out too well, at least yeah, the you, first half of the season. You just never know. You just never know. So I guess let me ask you this, too, while we're on the topic of Aaron Rodgers. If there's one thing that you could add to this team – going into next season to really help him out and really take those, you know, steps to getting back, you know, to his play like normal, what would you add to this team? I think, well, special teams immediately comes to mind as far as field position and putting Rogers in some better spots. I mean, it felt like he was starting too many drives inside the 15, inside the 10, you know, a holding call would negate a huge play. So special teams right away. But if I had to go based on position, I think you got to get some guard help on the offensive line. And I, I think Balaga is a very talented tackle when he's healthy. And I think he'll, you know, play a couple more years, but I think you also have to start planning for the future at the position because your left tackles locked down, your center's locked down. Lane Taylor is doing a pretty good job, but that right side of the line, you know, Rogers is going to need some help there. And to make the run game go the way that, LaFleur and Hackett are going to want it to go. They're going to need some depth at that position. I really like your special teams answer because I never even thought of it in that regards, but getting him some opportunities, you know, whether it be in special teams or turnovers to get better field position. So he doesn't have to go 85 yards. Like you said, every time I really like that answer, but you and I are a hundred percent on the same page. That offensive line to me, your three biggest players who are going to get you points and are really going to make this team go are Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Rodgers. And if you give them better guards and better line play, you increase their all three of their abilities because Rodgers is going to have more time. He's going to have more confidence stepping up into the pocket. I, I'm amazed at some of the things that Aaron Jones was able to do despite the awful guard play that he consistently saw, especially that right guard. And then, uh, you know, obviously with Aaron Rodgers having more time and more opportunity to see the field and step into his throws confidently, that's going to help Devontae Adams as well. So those three Three huge playmakers are all going to be buoyed by the fact that you have a much better offensive line. So I'm attacking that right guard position. I said this year, uh, if they would have got even average right guard play, I think they would have uh, increased their offensive line or offensive production, like, uh, you know, about 
10 spots. Like I think it would have been that significant because right guard was so brutal. And I think if they could get one more player who could at least pitch in, if Brian Bulaga or David Bakhtiari or one of these offensive, the starters go down so that you don't have just this, you know, Jason Spriggs coming in and having basically a revolving door at right tackle. I think that would help a ton as well. So give me some additional help on the offensive line. And I think you're going to help Aaron Rodgers have confidence stepping up into those throws, stepping up into the offense and, and hopefully planting and not just fading away on every play. Yeah. And I mean, I think going back to what was wrong with Aaron Rodgers, it felt like he was missing a lot of wide open throws, or maybe he wasn't able to progress through his reads the way that he normally could because he was always scrambling because he always felt the pressure around him. And then when he did have to make a throw, it was some errant throw on the run where, you know, he felt the guy breathing down his neck or he did take a shot after he released the ball because that play was so terrible, you know, at the guard position. So I definitely agree with you there that get him just a little bit more protection. And I think the offense is going to click a lot, a lot quicker. Yeah. And I do think there's a little bit of him that started to see some ghosts as well because of his, the leg already being hurt and the the issues at right guard and at times right tackle when Bulaga was out. Uh, I, I do think he started to kind of get a little bit happy in the pocket and, and try to escape before he needed to at times, but I can't necessarily blame him for that either. And it just all goes back to you solidify that line and you're going to give him more confidence and this offense should respond in kind. Definitely. All right. So a few quick thoughts. We'll do kind of a lightning round before we head out for tonight. Uh, the first one I want to get your thoughts on is just your general, you know, observations on the coaching staff and transition so far and what your kind of thoughts about this new regime are. You know, I was big on the LaFleur bandwagon and I had started to convince myself that it was going to be Josh McDaniels. And so I kind of deferred from looking into anyone else because I didn't want to get my hopes up for anyone else because it just felt imminent that, McDaniels was going to be the guy. So when LaFleur did get hired, I was so excited given his pedigree and what he was able to do with Matt Ryan. The the stats that Jared Goff put up between his freshman and sophomore seasons were just, you know, really mind-blowing. And it's easy to dismiss what LaFleur did in Tennessee given the the offensive rankings, but you know, he didn't have any Adams caliber receivers and what he can do with Aaron Jones is going to be just really exciting for Packer fans wanting to see the ball run more. Um, And then when you look at his addition of Nathaniel Hackett, I really like that. I thought that that was a smart move. And I know the Jaguars aren't a team that you would look at and think that they have a dominant offense, but Hackett was there for the 2017 title game appearance where that offense was fifth in points and sixth in yards per game. And that was with a Blake Bortles led uh, offense. So you think about, how their running game was kind of a revolving door with Fournette never being able to stay healthy. And again, Blake Bortles at quarterback and you sub in Rogers, Aaron Jones, even Jamal Williams, you give him a stronger receiving core. And I think Packer fans are going to be really excited with the way this offense looks next season. Yeah, I do too. I think Nathaniel Hackett's actually the really sneaky hire here. I'm 100% on the same page with you. I Actually, when I went back and I looked at the offense, now I spent most of my time with Hackett in the 2017 offense with Jacksonville, um, not so much with the 2018 offense. But that 2017 offense with Jacksonville was a ton of fun to watch. And actually, I liked it a little bit more than what I saw from Matt LaFleur in the 2018 offense. So I think he was a really sneaky good hire. My one semi-concern that I have, and let me start by saying I like each of these hires. The more I dig into them, the more I like each and every one of them. And I think, you know, I like what they bring to the table. 
But I think this this team is in a really interesting position where you've got the last four to five, maybe six years of Aaron Rodgers' career, and uh, that time's obviously winding down. And this is a very important time for this franchise. And this franchise is now basically in the hands of a first-time general manager who's in his second season, a first-time head coach, an under-40 offensive coordinator, a ton of position coaches who are under 40, Mike Patton, who did a really nice job, I think, by all accounts last year and certainly in my mind as well. Uh, but his head coaching experience has not gone well. And last year, the, the, the defensive coordinator you know, position and role that he had, I think it went well for what he had, but it, it also didn't scream anything amazing at the same token. And again, I think you can contribute that to the talent he had to work with. But I think it's just a very unique coaching staff and position that they're in right now with so many young and inexperienced to an extent coaches with this team. And like I said, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't necessarily know that it's a good thing, but it's, it's an intriguing thing. Yeah. And not looking too far ahead. I mean, you still have at least, you know, maybe not at least, but four or five years with Rogers could be a couple more, but you think about the fact that this could be a core unit for quite a while if things go well in green Bay And there's a chance that these are the same offensive uh, key coaches that are running an offense that's not led by Aaron Rodgers. Um, And that's really interesting to think about, too, is that, yes, they're going to be here for the back half of Aaron Rodgers' career, and they're kind of in charge with getting the team, you know, back to a Super Bowl, back into the playoffs. But if things do go as well as I'm sure Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy are hoping, you know, there's a chance that they're going to be manning the transition between Rodgers and the QB of the future. And that's, that's pretty crazy to think about after we just had to go through the uh, Favre-Rogers transition, which feels like it was yesterday. Yeah, the the Favre to Rogers to Tim Boyle transition is going to be one that's very, very fun to watch. I think we can all agree on that. I have to get Tim Boyle into every episode. That's kind of a rule of mine. So quick thoughts on the Pro Bowl today. Did you watch any of it at all? I did watch it, but I spent more time getting ready for this. So it was on in the background and you know, once they put Mitch Trubisky in at the uh, quarterback position, I kind of knew I was okay to tune out for the rest of the day. Well, I appreciate your preparation. First of all, that's awesome. Uh, I did not catch any of the Pro Bowl uh, today and the Pro Bowl is not exactly my thing. I know Devontae Adams ended with two catches for 41 yards. So that's great that he was able to, you know, get a couple catches in there and, you know, put himself on display a little bit. But, you know, I, I, you know, whatever teach that, you know, everyone that likes the pro bowl, that's great. I don't have any issue against it. I'm not one that's necessarily on the kill the kill the pro bowl train. Um, you know, growing up, I always loved watching it and I thought it was something that was really, really fun. Now I see it as an exhibition with guys that don't try really hard. And to be fair, if I were in their shoes, I wouldn't try really hard either, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it is what it is. And, um, you know, again, for those who like it, that's awesome. I, I hope you enjoy it. And that's great. Just, just not my cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, I think the the most fun part of it, uh, it, it might have been the NFL that ran a video. It was like an eight-minute-long video of all the different touchdowns from legendary quarterbacks to legendary receivers. And just seeing some of those connections was really fun to see, you know, the guys that never actually would get a chance to play together being able to get on the same field and, you know, score some touchdowns or make some uh, pretty impressive catches. That's that's the fun part of it to me. But the, the game itself, yes, yeah, it's getting a little bit harder to watch. I I like the skills competition quite a bit more. Yeah. And I think that's the, really the main thing to remember is it's there for fun. And obviously it does well enough ratings that they keep on doing it. And like I said, I think there's a, a group of people that really enjoy it and that's great. That's awesome. And I think there is some fun that can be had with it. Quick Super Bowl prediction. Uh, I feel like this whole game comes down to Jared Goff. 
And it's, you know, it's the pinnacle of experience versus youth. You've got Belichick McVay, Brady Goff, but the Chiefs couldn't get it done at home. The Rams have a better defense. I don't know if I'm picking with my heart or if I'm picking with my brain, but I think that the Rams pull out just a really close one. Yeah, I I, I keep going back and forth on, on both of these teams. It would not surprise me in any way, shape, or form if either of these teams won. I'm going to go with Belichick and Brady because if it's that close, I'm going to give the edge to them uh, just because of who they are and their experience in these games. I don't see them necessarily losing back-to-back Super Bowls, so I'm going to go with the, with the evil empire in this one, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I do think James White and, and Gronk, and I think they're going to be really tough matchups, Edelman over the middle, and uh, I think it's going to be a really good game. And I think that's all I care about at this point. And I will say this for all the hating on the new England Patriots, every single Super Bowl that they have been in like a million in the last, you know, 10 years, they, uh, every single one has been massively entertaining. Every yep. single one has been eight points or less as a final. So a one possession game in each and every one, there's been crazy upsets, those giants games. There's been crazy plays that have been made, whether it's uh, the the Philly special last year, whether it's David Tyree catching the ball on top of his helmet, you know, so as you know, the last second field goals that Vinatieri has kicked, so, you know, however you feel about the Patriots, they've always put on a phenomenal show uh, in the Super Bowl, whether, you know, win or lose. So I, I think it should be in that same realm. And I think it's going to be another great game. It's also going to be our last uh, football game for quite a while, so I feel like everyone needs to enjoy it, whether or not they're uh, rooting against the Patriots or for them. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't get another one of these, even a fake one until August and not a real one until you know, early September. So it's going to be a long, long time. So I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this, what ends up being like a four and a half hour game because of all the commercials and, and uh, half times and everything, but I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it. All right, uh, Maggie, any last thoughts for today? I will say the one thing we didn't touch on with the edge rushers, and I don't think it's entirely plausible. I don't see D Ford leaving Kansas City, but with the new Mike Smith hire as the outside linebackers coach under LaFleur, there's this really intriguing, not going to happen, but would be kind of crazy if it did happen, thought that maybe D Ford leaves Kansas City and comes to Green Bay under Mike Patton and Mike Smith, and the edge position is you know, immediately elevated from what it could be. And then if you draft a guy, he plays under D Ford uh, for a couple of years. And, you know, I, again, I don't think it's going to happen, but it was that one little thing that I had in my edge rusher notes. And I'm like, oh, this would, this would be really interesting now considering the Mike Smith hire. I like the way that you're thinking both with D Ford and Jakai Polite because they're both speed rushers off the edge. Um, just massive, massive speed and bendability off the edge. And they're, I won't even even say that they're one trick ponies in that regards, but that's definitely their specialty. And I think when you've got a Kenny Clark and a Mike Daniels in the middle and Ben Fennel always refers to them as they can both get to the quarterback, but they're slow burn guys. They're going to be guys that collapse the pocket and it takes them a little bit of time. But what they do is they make it almost impossible for quarterbacks to step into that pocket. And now if you've got two guys that are screaming off the edge or even one guy that's screaming off the edge, like a polite or a Ford, uh, it makes them try to step up and then it puts Clark and Daniels in so much of a better position because so much so many times what happened is with Clay and Gilbert and, and Perry uh, and these guys off the edge the, the tackles would just be able to push them right by and push them into the backfield and even though Clark and Daniels were being able to get that penetration inside uh, the quarterback was just able to step up either to his left or to his right avoid the pressure from the middle and it was not it was a non-issue so I think if you can get some of those guys that can have that immediate pressure off the edge and bend around the edge I think not only are they going to get sacks but it's going 
going to increase the, uh, you know, the ability that Clark and Daniels have to get to the quarterback as well. So I, I love your thinking there. Maggie, fantastic stuff today. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, please tell everyone where we can find your work and if you have anything else coming out in the near future. So I am on Twitter at Maggie Lawler, L-A-W-L-E-R. Haven't thought about changing that yet. Once I get married, I think I'll probably leave it. But I also write for the Lombardi Lounge. That's at Lombardi underscore lounge. Follow the team, follow along with our stuff. I am not writing as frequently as I did, given the fact that my wedding is less than two months away. And I'm a little ball of stress with that, but I'm still trying to put out content as I can. And then, you know, once the wedding fun is over, then I'll have more Packer fun coming out too. So Andy, I really appreciate you reaching out and having me on going back to that uh, Packer writer from the power sweep, they're ranking. I actually put you down as the number one Packer reporter slash writer that I would like to hang out with and talk football with. So this is like my mini dream come true. It, it's been a blast. I love your stuff at Pack a Day. Your team is phenomenal. Cheesehead TV is great. So, you know, to be in this company is just really fantastic. Well, I appreciate that greatly. And you are more than deserving to be in that company. I really appreciate the time today. This was a ton of fun. We will absolutely do it again in the future. You don't have a choice. Uh, you're going to come back and do it. It's going to be a ton of fun because this was absolutely great. So really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank you so much. You bet. All right. So everyone, make sure to go out and follow Maggie on Twitter at Maggie Lawler, M-A-G-G-I-E-L-A-W-L-E-R. Make sure to wish her best uh, wishes on her upcoming marriage and uh, look for her work coming up on the Lombardi Lounge. You don't want to miss that. She does fantastic work, as does the rest of that team as well. Make sure to check out Jake and Ross tomorrow. They'll be on breaking down more Packers stuff. We're done with our end of year series. So my guess is maybe they're going to start looking at some draft stuff. They do great work there. Maybe they'll break down some of the stuff from this past season. Those guys do great work. So make sure to check it out tomorrow. Follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. As always, I will see you next week at this same time. In the meantime, make sure to check out everyone else on the Packaday Podcast. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go! From the 16 of New York, first down, goal to go. Rodgers in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap. Rodgers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end. And
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.